Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Good morning again, church family. Um, In case you weren't aware, tomorrow is the 22nd anniversary of one of the most devastating events that happened on American soil. That's 9-11. Not only were two monumental towers taken down, but it cost our economy literally billions of dollars from what happened. And then the worst part of all, thousands of lives uh, that were lost. Some of us are still affected by something that happened 22 years ago, especially if you knew somebody um, that was in that area. Uh, It's devastating as 9-11 is, it really happened at the hands of really just a handful of terrorists. Take a look at what a handful of terrorists were able to do. Now multiply that by millions as we get ready to study Revelation chapter 16 and we're in the second half of what we call the bold judgments. Uh, We're going to see Satan himself rising up the Antichrist, the false prophet, and then millions of people that follow them, and they are going to be acting as terrorists. It's going to be devastating. Here's the good news. God's bigger, and God will not put up with it forever. Um, But my prayer as a result of Revelation 16, and we're going to be in verses 10 through 21, my prayer is that when we're done, uh, we have an even greater heart for the lost, that we don't want anybody to experience the terrors that we're about to take a look at. So before I go any further, let's read the passage at hand. If you would join me in standing as we honor Jesus uh, and we read his word, we're in Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 through 21. It says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits, like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. Thanks, gang. You can have a seat. Now... Revelation 16, it's really meant to be read and studied in all of one sitting, but again, because we're bound by time, we couldn't get through all of it in one sitting, so you're going to see that the big idea for the week is exactly the same as it was last week, because it again is one literary unit of thought. So 
Overall, what is Jesus teaching us through the hand of John here? Follow Jesus now or face future judgment. Now that sounds ominous, but we have to remember that as believers, judgment is not always bad. We seem to equate the word judgment with something bad. However, for believers, the only judgment that we will have is what's called at the Bema seat of Christ, or that is the rewards seat, where Jesus will sit and he will give rewards as if one was giving rewards to somebody that just won the Olympic Games. So that's a blessing. It's also a blessing to know that in God's wrath and righteous judgment, he will do away with evil. That's a good thing. We want evil eradicated. At least I would hope and I would pray that we want evil eradicated. It has ruined societies, it's ruined families, it's ruined the world, so we should want evil eradicated. And one day God is going to say, enough is enough. Now if you'll remember last week, we got first of two lessons, and that was simply this, rejecting Jesus to follow the crowd will lead to harmful and painful consequences. Your pastor messed up. It should say Revelation 16, 1 through 9 for that. We're on 10 through 21 later. It should say Revelation 16, 1 through 9, where Jesus will reje- uh, rejecting Jesus to follow the crowd is going to lead to harmful and painful consequences. We talked about those with the boils and the sores that people experienced, with all the death that is going to be ravaged uh, in the sea. But now we're going to begin to break down the second half of this passage. Now, verses 1 through 9, it's the first four of seven bold judgments. Those first four are being poured out directly upon mankind. The last three that we're taking a look at today in Revelation 16, 10 through 21, are all poured out upon the beast and his throne. Remember, the beast is the Antichrist. The Antichrist has risen up. He looks like he's reigning. He looks like he's ruling. He looks like he's in control. And in one swift judgment, God is going to take him down and take him down quick. Let's take a look at how this is broken down. Revelation 16, verses 10 and 11, it says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. This is just like the plague of darkness that we read about in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. If you remember, Pharaoh raises up, or rises up. He's got this massive kingdom. He acts like he is God. He accepts worship as God. He acts like nobody could take him down. And then God, in a series of plagues, and remember there's ten of them, and his plagues unfold um, one after another, but progressively giving Pharaoh a chance to repent. Now, if you'll remember, what did Pharaoh do every time he had a chance to repent? Well, he gave a fake repentance, and then he hardened his heart. Finally, by the time you get to the last of the plagues, God hardened Pharaoh's heart for him. Well, even despite all these cankerous and oozing sores that these people have, and even despite the oceans being filled with the stench of dead whales and seals and fish and crab, and whatever else it is that you can think of that lives in the sea, all of those things dying, they've got no fresh water in order to refresh themselves from all the cankerous oozing sores or the nasty sunburns that they have. They still won't repent and cry out to God. Sounds just like Pharaoh thousands of years prior. This is what's interesting about Scripture. Did you know that it's always relevant? In case you didn't remember hearing that last week, the Word of God's always relevant. 
So it doesn't matter if it was 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, or going all the way back to the beginning of creation about 6,000 years ago, it's still relevant today. I've had many people look at me and go, yeah, you go ahead and keep reading your antiquated, outdated book. I don't think it has any relevance for today. Interesting. Let's just take a look at what was happening in Egypt, in Assyria, in Babylon, and so on, and see if there are any parallels. Well, the parallels are direct and exact. And as I shared with you last week, do you know what has actually changed about mankind, just about the only thing? Technology. That's about it. So we see that these folks that are going through these judgments, they won't turn around and love God, they won't repent, they won't follow him. Look with me at verses 12 through 16. It says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Now let's stop for a moment. Who's the dragon? Revelation tells us it's Satan. Who's the beast? That's the Antichrist. And who's the false prophet? It's the false prophet of the Antichrist. It says, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Now a parenthesis, this little break in verse 15, all of a sudden Jesus speaks, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Just that portion of the passage from verses 12 through 16 could be a whole sermon in itself, but we're going to break down at least three things that are extremely important in this passage. Unlike the previous five bowls, this sixth one's not going to be poured out directly on humanity. In fact, what it's going to do is it's going to open up the way for a series of battles. So first of all, there's the drying up of the Euphrates River. Now, just to give you a little background on the Euphrates River, it gets its source from the snow caps of Mount Ararat. And then it travels about 1,800 miles where it dumps into the Persian Gulf. Now, by the time the sixth bowl is poured out on the river Euphrates, remember the sun's heat has become scorching. So the scorching sun is going to melt all these snow caps, and it's going to cause massive flooding. Now, right now, people can get across the Euphrates via bridges. All those bridges are going to be wiped out, which means that there's no way for the kings of the east to come in and ravage God's people, unless... God supernaturally dries up the Euphrates River. Well, that's exactly what God is going to do. He's going to dry up the Euphrates River, making the kings of the east think, we've got them. We are now going to take out Jesus' followers. Once and for all, we're going to deal with this vermin. However, what they don't know is that God actually prepared the way for their destruction. Let me go back to the Exodus. You all remember when God parted the Red Sea? He kept it parted for the Egyptians too, didn't he? Just long enough for them to enter in, thinking we've got them now. They're just on the other side of this sea. We're going to go in and we're going to take out God's people. We're going to take out those that are going to become future followers of Jesus. We're going to come and take out those that are the future family line of the Messiah. And all the while, this is probably Satan's thinking as well. Now remember, Satan is a limited being. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know the beginning from the end. He is a cherubim angel, and angels don't know all things. So he's thinking he's sending the Egyptians in to once and for all wipe out God's people. That's it. That will do away with the Messiah that is coming. But instead, God closes up the sea, and he takes them all out. 
God opens up the way for these kings of the east to come in. And as we're going to see later, I won't get into it now, he's going to open up that way so that he can do his final judgment upon those that are coming up against Jesus and his people. Well, we also read of this ominous sight, the unholy trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet open up their mouths, and then these demonic spirits that resemble frogs come out. According to Leviticus chapter 11, verses 10 through 11, frogs are an unclean animal. And so these demonic and unclean spirits come out to expose the vileness and the uncleanness of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Now, don't forget, mankind thinks that Satan is actually looking out for their good, that the Antichrist is looking out for their good, that the false prophet is looking out for their good. Remember how Satan comes. He comes as what? An angel of light. Remember, the Antichrist comes bringing peace. And remember, the false prophet comes offering hope and telling everybody to worship and follow after the Antichrist. Gang, the way is paved for those three perfectly today. Think about it for a moment. Again, there's no way to preach the gospel without getting into some things that are going to be a little bit controversial and maybe bug some folks or rub them the wrong way, but I want to make sure that we're clear on how Satan is working today in our culture. Think about our culture of death, where literally a million babies before the end of 2023 rolls around will uh, happen. A million babies will be killed in the womb before the end of, from the beginning of 2023 to the end just in our own country. Now, what our society is saying and our culture is saying is they are looking out for the best interests of women. They are looking out for women's rights. Now, while that sounds sweet and that sounds nice, nobody's saying what's not only happening to that little baby that's being torn apart, but nobody's saying what's actually happening to the woman's body that's having that baby torn apart inside of her. And again, I know that this makes us squirm a little bit because pastor, we're not supposed to be political, right? First question that I would ask is where did we get that from? And secondly, this is life and God is the creator and the sustainer of life. He's the one who decides when that life begins and he's the one who decides when that life ends. This is not far-fetched, but across the globe right now in many different countries, if somebody is deemed physically handicapped enough, or mentally handicapped enough, or they are old enough and they cannot take care of themselves, the families now have the right to have that person put down. Doesn't that sound like they're being treated like an animal? Well, that's the worldview that we now have because again, Satan comes in and he tries to make it sound like, well, if you believe in a God that actually exists that created all things, then you're just an ignorant dolt. So what what intelligent human beings believe is that absolutely everything came from absolutely nothing and just evolved its way into what it is now. I say that semi-facetiously, but when we actually get people to stop and think about where we came from, how we got here, what worldview actually makes the most sense? Now, Jesus breaks in in verse 15 and he brings some hope all of a sudden. It seems like a weird break. Why between verses 14 and 16 does all of a sudden Jesus chime in, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Here's why I believe he stepped in and said that. Those that weren't believers prior to the rapture and are still on the earth, but then become believers during the tribulation and are still alive, are probably quite afraid for their lives, for their families' lives. And Jesus breaks in and says, Hang in there. Blessed, added unto, are the ones that stay awake. 
Don't buy the lie of the culture. Don't buy the lie that you're better off taking the mark of the beast. Now listen, again, I don't think as a church we will be here for any of this. But even the church has bought the lie that it's better that we just shut up, stay in our holy huddles, stay in our homes, don't say too much, don't speak into politics, don't speak into the culture, don't show up at school board meetings because all of those things are just going to get us in trouble. Our 501c3s could get revoked, we could go to prison, and depending on where you live, you could eventually be killed for your faith. To which Jesus would say, stay awake, because that's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to think that you should just keep your mouth quiet, you shouldn't say a thing, and really you shouldn't even think for yourself. Just let others do it for you. But Jesus says, blessed if you stay awake and you keep your garments on. Now is not the time to be taking off the armor of God. I'm not going to go through all the pieces of armor, but I love when you study the armor of God. The first thing that he starts with is the belt of truth. Now, I wear this wimpy little belt that keeps my pants up. But in the day of the Roman centurion or the Roman soldier, the belt would have had a buckle that would put us to shame. The buckle would be so big that it would go up over the belly button near the chest all the way down to the knees. And on it would hang the long sword, would hang the dagger, would hang the shield. Everything hung on that belt of truth or that belt. Now think spiritually about the belt of truth. If your life is not built upon the belt of truth, then we are in a lot of trouble because it means that it's hanging on a lie that cannot support you. And there are a lot of lies out there. There's the lie of atheism. There's the lie of agnosticism. There's the lie of evolution. There's the lie of false religion. There's the lie of narcissism that we should just worship ourselves. And all of it is destroying us and eventually will bring about future judgment. So it goes on in verse 16 after Jesus says, hang in there, keep the belt of truth on, keep the breastplate of righteousness on, keep your feet fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace, keep in your hand the sword of the spirit because, listen to this, and they assembled them in the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Millions are going to follow after Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they're going to come up against Jesus. And isn't it crazy that they come up against him in a place called Armageddon? That might not mean much to you unless you know what Armageddon means. It's literally Harmageddon or Harmageddo. Har means mountain or hill. Megiddo or Mageddon meaning place of slaughter. Think about that for a moment. This is the mountain or hill of, of slaughter. Welcome to the mountain of slaughter. What an appropriate name for this battle that's about to take place because this really isn't a battle. This really isn't a war. Jesus just comes in and says enough is enough. Look at verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. This final judgment is going to be severe, it's going to be poured out in the air, the air that mankind breathes is now going to be tainted, people are going to die from that, many are going to suffocate, but I believe it's also saying something else. Y'all remember what Jesus told us one of Satan's names is? He's the power of the prince of the air. And now Jesus comes and says, not anymore. I'm reclaiming what is rightfully mine. In verses 18 through 21, we just see these devastating earthquakes or a devastating earthquake. It says, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. 
The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. This earthquake is going to be devastating. It's going to actually change the topography of the earth. It says it's going to level mountains. It's going to be what brings about Babylon's destruction. Babylon is both a city and an ideology, and both of them are going to come down. And this serves as a reminder to us once again, follow Jesus now, or we're going to face future judgment. But let it also serve as an encouragement. As a follower of Jesus, remember once again, God's always faithful to his promises. Did you know that God keeps every single one of his promises? This is why I love reading scripture. I read of all the promises in the Old Testament that God makes to the nation of Israel. And I know without a doubt he's going to keep every single one of them. Then I move to the New Testament and I look at the promises that he makes to the church and I know he's going to keep every single one of them. And I want to pause for a moment and just offer a word of hope and encouragement. Much of the book of Revelation has been hard. Revelation 17, 18, and the first half of 19 aren't going to get any easier. But hang in there. Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11 through the end of Revelation chapter 22, is going to be the blessed eternal state described for us. The millennium, that thousand-year reign of Christ where we get to reign with him is going to be described for us. What all of heaven is going to be like when we enter into it and we get to see Jesus in his glory is going to be described for us. And then the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem that we're going to get to experience is all going to be described in Revelation chapter 22. I know we're like six weeks out from that, but I can't wait. And I am so looking forward to that. That's if we make it. I'm praying the rapture comes first. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, our second lesson from all of this is rejecting Jesus to follow the crowd is going to lead to destruction and death. But the good news is, for you and I, these events haven't happened yet, so we've got time to go share the gospel. When you hear me say that, know that what I just said prior to that is also true. We could be out of here in the twinkling of an eye. We could be out of here before this service is over. So let's go out and continue to share the gospel with those that up to this point have rejected Jesus. Now with that said, it's good for us to ask, what does it mean when, pastor, you tell me go share the gospel? Because I, I think there are literally thousands of people going to church Sunday in and Sunday out that hear the word gospel, that hear go preach the gospel, but we're still not clear on how to preach the gospel. What is the gospel message? And this is why I believe we answer these five questions. This is not new. I don't think that we need to just keep jumping from one new thing to the next on a consistent basis. There are certain things that I know need to be drilled into my head, need to be drilled into my heart. And one of them is this, sharing the gospel clearly and effectively. So here's the gospel clearly and effectively. When I sit down with a person, I am going to assume that they don't even believe that God exists because that's where most people in the United States are at right now. Most are at the point where they don't even believe that there's a God that exists. So the first thing that I will do is I will start with question number one and just ask questions. Do you know why that's effective? Because people like to hear themselves talk. So start asking questions. So let me ask you this question. Where did we come from? I love to hear people's answers. They're all over the map, but they typically revolve from one of two things. Either someone brought us into existence or absolutely everything came from absolutely nothing. We're just one big cosmic accident. 
Okay, you've got one of two answers. There's really nothing in between. Well, the answer from Scripture and the one that makes sense based off the world that we live in is that there is a God that exists outside of time, space, and matter. And he has to exist infinitely in order to bring all finite things into existence. I won't get too deep into the science of it all, but scientists will now tell you that everything in the universe is contingent upon something else for its existence. In other words, in order for us to have oxygen, we have to have trees. I don't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that if all the trees and plants on the planet got wiped out, we wouldn't be able to breathe any longer? Fascinating. In order to have trees and in order to have plants, we have to be on a planet that is is able to sustain water in liquid form. In order to be on a planet that sustains water in liquid form, we have to have a Uh, We have to have a star, or specifically a yellow giant, just the right distance from our planet to keep water in liquid form. Go figure, that is our sun. We also have to have a planet that is just the right size in order to sustain an atmosphere that blocks out the sun's rays so that we don't all get scorched to death. Okay, that's just a few of the things in our universe that are contingent one upon another in order to exist, which means that everything in the universe is contingent upon one person or one thing that is incontingent in order to sustain it all and to bring it into existence. Does anybody's brain hurt yet? That is the God that we serve. The only other alternative is that all of that came about from absolute nothingness. To which, again, I would pose the question, when is the last time you ever saw something or nothing create something, let alone nothing create everything? Well, that begs the second question. Why are we here? If I am nothing more than a cosmic accident, I have no purpose for being here. However, if premise number one is true, and that is that there's a God that created all of us, I now know I definitely have a purpose. And what is it? Well, God in flesh, Jesus came in and John 17, 3 told us why we exist. For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Why do we exist? To know God. Paul expounded on that in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, that we exist, or we should do all things for the glory of God. Whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Why do I exist? To be in relationship with him and to bring him glory. Well, here's the third question. What's gone wrong? If I just ask somebody, what do you think has gone wrong with the world? And they'll probably try to give you a million answers, but what Scripture says is we are. Our sin has wrecked and ravaged the world. To which I will continue further on with asking the person, did you know that you're a sinner? No. No, I'm basically a good person. Well, let's give you just a quick test. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Well, yeah. Most people have heard of the Ten Commandments. I said, can I quote one for you just to see if you measure up to it? Oh, sure, go for it. I love to speak to unbelievers when I get to present the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments says, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, but that's nothing major. Okay, but let's just stop there for a moment. You say you've told a lie. What does that make you? I mean, who wants to say that out loud, right? If you lied, what does it make you? A liar. Uh, Especially if I'm dealing with guys, I'll look at a guy and go, hey, have you ever looked at a woman with lust before? I may have shared this with you, but I was asking a guy this at the gym, and he's like, yeah, like that hot girl over there? Yeah, exactly, that. So you've looked at a woman with lust. According to Jesus, if you look at a woman with lust that's not your spouse, you've committed adultery. So what does that make you? Well, who wants to say an adulterer? Let me ask you another question. Have you ever stolen anything? Well, yeah, but nothing big. Okay, but the object doesn't matter. It's the, it's the action. So have you ever stolen anything? Yeah. So what does that make you? 
Well, a thief, but I'm still not a bad person. Okay, don't hold on time out. I didn't, I didn't even have to say it yet. But up to this point, three of the Ten Commandments, you're telling me that you're a lying, thieving adulterer. So far, that's as far as we've gotten. Now, there's seven more. Shall I go on? No, that's good enough. I'm like, so if God were to hold you accountable just to the Ten Commandments, would you be allowed to enter into his heaven and into his presence? And usually people have to stop and think, no, maybe I am what's gone wrong with the world. Which leads us to our next question. How can that be fixed? How can my life in this world be fixed? And the answer comes very clearly in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That only Jesus can save us from the effects of our sin. It's only if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart God raised him from the dead that I can be saved from the issues that we just looked at in question three. And here's the final question. Where are you going when you die? A lot of people are thinking about what happens to them after they die. What will happen to you after you die? Well, it all depends on what you do with Jesus in question number four. See, God can't allow anything imperfect into his heaven, which means that I'm in a lot of trouble if I stand before God and go, God, you should let me into heaven because I've been faithful to my wife and I've preached hundreds of sermons and I've done hundreds of funerals and I've told a lot of people, I've done all these good things. And God goes, that's great. But if you've done one bad thing, I can't allow you into my presence, which is why I love Galatians 2.20 so much. In fact, I love it so much I had it tattooed on my body as a reminder. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Which means that the day that I die, the day that you die, God doesn't see you anymore. That's good news. Because if God sees Dave, I'm doomed. I have nothing to offer him. In fact, all those good things that I just mentioned, so what? They're things I should be doing anyways. Why should I get rewarded with heaven for simply doing the things that I should be doing in the first place? But I love how Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I died for all of those things that our accuser is going to accuse us of. Remember the words Satan and devil, slanderer, accuser. He loves to stand before God's throne and accuse and slander God's people. I am sure thankful that I have an advocate that is greater than the accuser. Aren't you glad you have an advocate that's greater than the accuser? That is reason to celebrate this morning. Gang, in conclusion, I am praying that we are a people that are so in love with Jesus that we can't help but ask people some of these very questions. That we can't help but tell them about how good Jesus is. And when you begin to feel intimidated about sharing the gospel, just remember your love for Christ. Don't go and share him out of obligation Don't go and share him because you're fearful of what might happen if you don't. Gang, if you've trusted Jesus, you're going to heaven no matter what. But I want to be so thankful that Jesus has paved the way for me to go to heaven that I can't help but share him with everybody else that I come in contact with. Let's be a people that love him so much that we can't keep quiet about our Savior, that we can't keep quiet about our King. Do we serve a mighty King? Oh, man. He is so much more worthy of cheering for and clapping over than any football team, any baseball team, any basketball team, and yet hundreds of thousands of people today are going to freak out over 50% of teams that are going to lose. So let's rejoice over the fact that we serve a king that can't lose. We serve a captain of an army that is already guaranteed victory.
Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we worship you as king. We worship you as captain. We worship you as Lord. We worship you as the commander of an army that cannot be defeated because of who our king is. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in the fact that you have already secured the victory regardless of what happens in our lives. Lord, we are thankful for even difficult passages like Revelation chapter 16 because we get to see in the midst of all of this that you win even when millions from an army from the east come up against you. Lord, there's no fight. You're going to simply win the battle with a word. Lord, when Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet rise up against you. There's no competition. Lord, you simply win with a word. Just as you spoke the universe into existence with a word, Lord, you will speak evil out of existence and into the lake of fire with a word. Lord, may we worship the one who is the living word. And Lord, may we make his glory being known and being made manifest the forefront of our lives. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you for who you are. It's in your mighty name that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. NCCABQ.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.